You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1953rd edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 2nd of November 2023. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison, the producer is Peter Rayson and your readers are Chris Payne and Neil Keeley. And I, Neil Keeley, will apologise in advance for my rather croaky voice this evening. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence, as always, with the headlines. Villager wants bus route to be reinstated over isolation fears. 20 mile per hour speed limits brought in for rat-run villages. Police warn shoplifters you will go to court. Cost of living crisis behind homeless numbers increase. A villager is calling for a rural bus route to be reinstated after it was reduced to school days only due to lack of demand. David Flanagan, who lives in Norton near Bury St Edmunds, said the reduction of the Stevenson's 384 oblique 5 route between Stowmarket and Bury St Edmunds, which took place last September, has left him and others feeling isolated. The 384 oblique 5 route now only runs during school term, which Mr Flanagan said causes issues for him as he volunteers as a mine charity shop, as he volunteers at the mine charity shop in Bury St Edmunds four days a week and is a supervisor on Sundays. The loss of the 385 bus means during non-school times I will be unable to volunteer, which will affect my mental health, he said. Since losing his wife and son, I felt isolated and depressed. Volunteering at Mind has given me back my independence and my ability to mix with people within my community. He said he also fears for other villagers who may now be less able to get into town, to socialise, shop or have appointments. Many residents in Norton and between Stowmarket and Bury St Edmunds are elderly people who rely on this service to get their shopping, meet up with friends, go to hospital or doctor's appointments and get out of their homes, he said. 385 stops at West Suffolk Hospital, meaning they don't have to rely on lifts from family members who work. They have their independence. He said the reduction also impacts teenagers who use the bus during summer for part-time work, as well as nurses who may now struggle to get to work. Suffolk Council wants us out of our cars and off our roads, but this is forcing residents back into their cars, not out of them, he said. Our local country road is already experiencing an increase in traffic. The parish council is looking at a crossing for schoolchildren and residents, as we now can't cross the road in safety. A Suffolk County Council spokesperson said the 385 is a commercial bus route and Stevenson decided to reduce it due to it becoming unviable. We understand residents' concerns, but, but as with every service, the operator can only justify running a route when they have sufficient passenger numbers, they added. 
Bill Haran, managing director at Stevenson, said, Unfortunately, numbers using it meant that it was running at a considerable loss in school holidays and on Saturdays. On school term days, the service is largely sustained due to the students using it to and from school. Unfortunately, whilst people may want the service, there are not enough using it to pay for it. Temporary speed limits have been introduced in a number of rat-run villages near to the A14 roadworks in Suffolk. National Highways has been monitoring traffic in local villages surrounding the roadworks between Junction 47A at Woolpit and Junction 49 at Stowmarket. <clears throat> the authority has stated that data collected from safety camera vans showed that whilst most drivers complied, a number of drivers were travelling above the speed limit. As a result, temporary speed limits have been installed in villages used as rat runs. 20 mile per hour restrictions have been installed in Berry Road and Tostock Road in Baton, reduced from the current 30 mile per hour limit. According to One Dot Network, part of Drinkston Road between Baton and Drinkston has been changed from a 60 mile per hour zone to a 30 mile per hour area. The new changes also affect several roads in Elmswell, Weatherden, and Hawley New Street. Restrictions could be in place until September next year. A spokesman for National Highways said the data collected over the last few months showed that whilst most people complied with the speed limit, there is a number of drivers travelling above the speed limit. Whilst we can't stop drivers from using local roads as a rat run, we aim to slow down any vehicles, making it safer for vulnerable road users such as pedestrians and cyclists. It comes after National Highways was forced to apologise for potholes which have appeared in the new surface. Emergency road closures were put in place on both Friday and Monday to repair the temporary surface. Work on the carriageway is not expected to be completed until summer 2024, although it is now beyond the halfway mark in the project. Police have sent a stark message to shoplifters <coughs> after a 24-year-old man was sentenced. Sean Smith from Bury St Edmunds area was sentenced at Norwich Magistrates Court on Thursday, October the 19th to 26 weeks in jail for committing 19 shoplifting offences between August and October 2023. The crimes happened at business premises and among the items stolen included groceries from Aldi in Newmarket, alcohol from Sainsbury's in Ipswich, as well as headphones from HMV and cosmetics from Boots. Smith's conviction is the latest in a recent string of shoplifting offences that have happened in the Bury St Edmunds area. A 22-year-old man was jailed for three weeks for shoplifting earlier in October. A 21-year-old was jailed for 12 weeks and a 29-year-old was jailed for nine weeks for both shoplifting in September. And a 53-year-old man was jailed in August for eight weeks for the same offence. Inspector Andy Beebe of Bury St Edmunds Police said the Smith result and the other convictions that have taken place recently demonstrate shoplifting is a crime whatever the value of the item stolen and can result in a criminal conviction. 
periodically, operations are carried out to try to target such offences through high visibility and covert patrols in a bid to disrupt shoplifters, particularly persistent offenders who choose not to change their criminal behaviour. Hopefully this will give some comfort to shop owners that where the compelling evidence is secured, we will look to prosecute with appropriate action taken by the courts. The number of households being helped through homelessness by West Suffolk Council has increased year on year as the cost of living crisis bites. In the past six months, from April 1st to September 30th, the council's housing team has intervened to prevent 77 households becoming homeless, while another 90 households who became homeless have been rehoused. Meanwhile, the council is continuing to support another 148 households, including some living in temporary or emergency accommodation. In the past year, the Council has invested more than £1.2 million on improving existing temporary accommodation and increasing the amount of accommodation it can access. Councillor Richard O'Driscoll, Cabinet Member for Housing, said, The cost of living crisis with interest rates arises on mortgages and the knock-on effects to rents coupled with inflated costs for some of the basic things we all need, such as food, has all had a significant impact. People have struggled to keep up with their rent or mortgages, and sadly that has seen more people in need of our help. The number of people needing help has increased compared to the same six months last year when the council helped to prevent 47 households from becoming homeless relieved 90 households out of homelessness and continued to support another 141 households. From April 1st, 2022 to March 31st, 2023, the Council prevented 117 households from becoming homeless, relieved another 220 out of homelessness and worked with 263 others. Councillor O'Driscoll added that were an individual, a couple or a family to lose their home, the authority had sufficient temporary and emergency bed and breakfast accommodation in place. The council has also invested in specialist support and accommodation to help reduce the number of rough sleepers in the district, with four rough sleepers recorded on September the 30th, although this number can fluctuate day by day. In 2018, when the Council launched its Rough Sleeper Support Service, there were 36. A former engineer made an appearance on The One Show after becoming frustrated with the way broadband is being installed in his village. Nigel Waring from West Row was told in a letter earlier this year from his broadband and phone provider, Plusnet, that he could be cut off due to a switch from analogue to digital services. As a result, the old copper lines are being phased out for full fibre broadband that is set to be introduced by Openreach, but it has not been installed yet. It leaves Nigel and other residents in West Row and Beck Row, despite paying £44 a month for a standard broadband service, having to pay for a weaker internet connection with 2 megabytes a second, which means they are unable to stream anything that can just about send emails.
and can just about send emails. The 62-year-old said, before the switchover, they are on a faster speed of 56 megabytes. Nigel, who used to be an electrical engineer, said, it's like being sold a new electric car and having nowhere to charge it up. What's the point of it? Soon we will have a much better internet connection, I hope. In my life, I've never had something I've paid for been taken away from me by anybody, but soon we will have fibre broadband, I hope. Nigel chatted to the one show presenter, Matt Allwright, who discussed with him how the retail provider often interfaces with OpenReach in the background, but customers don't get access to them, when, which has caused a lot of frustration, not just in Beck Row. For Nigel, he's having to deal with all the issues, plus via Plusnet, which is relying on OpenReach to get the job done, where the progress is slow. We've had many missed appointments, probably eight in total now, he said. We'd love to be connected, and we need decent internet for the security of my daughter's farm, where we have CCTV cameras, but we've got no more than two megabytes of internet, and it's been like that for several months now. A letter was sent to the one show to a a letter was sent from the One Show to OpenReach. The firm said how they were sorry and intended to learn from and fix the issues that have been raised. Now this article is a follow-on from what I just read about accommodation. I feel just like we have been dumped and they don't really care. These were the words of a mother who we have called Cathy, an alias to protect her identity who has reached out in desperation over the temporary housing she and two younger relatives were placed into in the Bury St Edmunds area. The family who fled domestic violence were in three-bed emergency accommodation, but say they were only given 24 hours by West Suffolk Council to move to temporary accommodation, essentially a bedroom in a shared house. Cathy described this housing, where they have been since June, as overcrowded. She claimed that there are 20 people in the house from nine different families and said she and a family member are having to share a small double bed. She said she doesn't feel safe there, sharing with people that she doesn't know and claimed the property does not have any child safety measures. Cathy, who works and receives housing benefit, is desperate for a house for the family, but said so far they've had no success on Homelink, bidding for social housing. In a tearful interview with Suffolk News, she said, It's only been three months, but it feels like a lot longer. We really want to be out by Christmas, and we really want to have Christmas around a tree and that sort of stuff. Cathy says her mental health has worsened since they moved into this housing. She also spoke of the struggle to get enough sleep for work, mentioning banging doors, shouting and a child crying. A West Suffolk Council spokesman said, The family was in emergency accommodation. This type of accommodation includes bed and breakfasts and hotels and we use this until we have suitable temporary accommodation for a household to move into. When they moved into the temporary accommodation in the Bury St Edmunds area, they were in a larger room but asked to be moved downstairs and accepted that it was a smaller room. They added, 
the family has not raised any safety concerns with us. Cathy said they needed to be in this room, which is slightly smaller, due to mobility needs. She also said that she had raised safety concerns, like a lack of stair gates, with the managers of the accommodation. Wilco stores could be set to return to Suffolk's high streets after the retailer closed all of its stores earlier this year. The retailer had closed its outlets in Ipswich, Mildenhall, Bury St Edmunds and Lowestoft in recent weeks after the company went into administration. A number of last-minute bids failed to keep the store as open. The loss of Wilco was described as a real blow to high streets by Ipswich senior Labour councillor Colin Criderwolf. However, Wilco could now be reopening in Suffolk as part of an aggressive rollout plan by the range, which purchased a number of Wilco stores. The exact locations not yet known, but a spokesman for Wilco said teams are looking at former Wilco stores and new sites across the UK, and there are plans to have national coverage again in 2024. The range is currently in negotiations with local landlords about reopening stores. Alex Simkin, chief executive of CDS Superstores, trading as the range and Wilco said the public reaction to the loss of Wilco stores was undeniable. It's clear that there's a huge love for Wilco and we've seen an encouraging demand for the return of its own brand products. That's why we've taken the decision to reintroduce Wilco back to many of the high streets and communities that it used to serve so proudly. Our team from Wilco that joined us through the acquisition has shown true resilience. They've set to work to integrate the best parts of Wilco into the range's operational systems. We're expanding that team every day with new Wilco hires and can't wait to extend that back to our local communities. We'll endeavour to give ex-Wilco employees priority as a part of the recruitment process for the new stores. St Edmundsbury Cathedral and an Ixworth brewery based in a converted shipping container have come together and launched a trio of beers inspired by the site. Artifact Brewing, which was started in 2020 by a couple Cat Lawson Phillips and James Phillips, has created The Dean's Undoing, which is an extra special bitter, The Canon's Comfort, which is a ruby ale, and the Verger's Reward, a gluten-free blonde ale. The beers, which are now on sale in the cathedral shop, also have labels showing a pattern inspired by the Angel Hill site's vaulted ceiling. Kat said, We have worked with the cathedral for a few years now, through attending their Christmas market in November, and we're delighted to have the opportunity to work with them on these beers. The beers were selected by the Cathedral Enterprises Board following a tasting in May and since then the Cathedral team has been working on the names and we also collaborated on the label design which the shop already uses on other packaging in the gift shop. The beers which will also be sold at Cathedral events and in its restaurant Pilgrim's Kitchen follow on from another successful East Anglian Beer and Cider Festival, which was held at the Cathedral in August. 
Jane Harrison, manager of St Edmundsbury Cathedral Shop, said, We're really pleased to work with Artifact to create a range of beers which are local, of great quality and reflect our cathedral environment. They really complement our existing range in the shop. I think they will be very popular gifts. Another fan who has fully endorsed the beers is Dean of St Edmundsbury in Ipswich, the very Reverend Joe Hawes. He said, I first started buying beers from Artifact Brewing when they had a stall on the marketplace and very much like what they do. <coughs> These three are beers that I genuinely enjoy drinking. I think they're very nice and ones that I choose to drink myself. I have really enjoyed working with Artifact Brewing on this and it is great to support a small but growing young local brewery with this type of partnership and I hope it continues to grow in the future. Artifact Brewing has won numerous awards for its beers such as a silver from the Society for Independent Brewers National Beer Awards for its Heritage Ruby Ale in March this year as well as a bronze in 2022 for its 6.5% Kvik Black IPA. An accountancy firm at the centre of a tax rebate dispute is being wound up. Apostle Accounting Limited, based in Marriott's Walkstow Market, passed a resolution to wind up the company, according to the London Gazette, the official public record. It follows claims by former clients that they were ordered by HMRC to pay back the tax rebates they had originally claimed through the firm, amounting to thousands of pounds. Apostle has denied any wrongdoing over the issue and said HMRC incorrectly applied its own guidance when authorising the refunds. Police and the Specialist Eastern Region Special Operations Unit launched investigations into the affair earlier this year. The notice in the London Gazette, posted by Apostle Director Zoe Goodchild, states a resolution was passed in October the 10th to wind up the company. Leeds-based firm DFW Associates have been appointed to handle the liquidation. Apostle Accounting was approached for comment. Positive discussions are underway with potential tenants who are interested in the empty shops at the multi-million pound post office redevelopment in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre. The ground floor shops have been vacant since the revamped Cornhill building, which includes flats, was handed over to West Suffolk Council in March. The redevelopment maintained the Victorian frontage of the former post office and widened market thoroughfare by more than 50% to 3.8 metres. Last week, a West Suffolk Council spokesman said they were in positive discussions with interested parties for the commercial units. Of the flats, eight have been sold, two are under offer and two are on the market, with positive interest in both. The council bought the site for £1.6 million after the post office decided to move to WH Smith's. A regimental museum is temporarily closed while it undergoes refurbishment. Suffolk Regiment Museum, based at the Keep, Gibraltar Barracks, at Risbygate Street in Bury St Edmunds, will be closed until the summer 2024. 
the museum is being redecorated and updated and improvements will also be made to some of the displays and interpretation panels. Some of its collection will also be conserved during this time, including a map used by the 1st Battalion during its retreat from Dunkirk in 1940. Claire Wallace, the museum's curator, said, The museum will be getting a lick of paint, which will be the first in about 20 years, and we are also looking into new lighting. The work is self-funded and will be carried out by 16 volunteers. We are all excited. When we reopen, we will also be updating the museum with both chronological and thematic displays. Many of the favourite objects, such as the Rubik's drum and the Sir Edward's bear, wearing a Suffolk regiment tunic, will remain on display, while others will be exhibited for the first time. We will be highlighting the major engagements from the, from the regiment's history, including the First and Second World War, Malayan and Cyprus campaigns. We'll also be telling the stories of some individual officers and soldiers from the different military campaigns that have not been seen before. Suffolk Regiment Museum was founded in 1935 and has been at its current location since 1968. The displays tell the story of the regiment from its foundation in 1685 to amalgamation with the Royal Norfolk Regiment in 1959. The history covers the regular, militia, volunteer and wartime battalions through medals, uniforms, photographs, weapons, equipment and personal memorabilia. The museum also exhibits, also houses exhibits for the Cambridgeshire Regiment. Regular updates on the progress of the refurbishment will be available through the museum website and social media platforms. The smaller Suffolk Regiment exhibition at Moises Hall in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre and the Cambridgeshire Regiment display at Duxford will remain open. Moises Hall Museum <coughs> is playing host to its annual sci-fi and film exhibition featuring props and attractions from some of the biggest blockbusters of recent decades. The exhibition has been a highlight of the museum's calendar for over a decade but this year's show promises to be one of the largest yet. Having opened last Saturday, it is set to run through to January the 21st, with displays drawn from the likes of Star Wars, Doctor Who, Pirates of the Caribbean, <coughs> The Mummy and more. A number of workshops and special attractions is planned to run alongside the exhibition. This year's show is putting the spotlight on Oscar-nominated British director Ridley Scott. Among the props on display are items from some of Scott's most acclaimed films, <coughs> including Gladiator, Black Hawk Down and Robin Hood. Organisers report that the community response to the exhibition was strong over its opening weekend. Councillor Ian Shipp, the Council's Cabinet Member for Leisure and Culture, said... This is the biggest display in the 12-year history of this exhibition, with over 100 TV and movie props on display, and you don't need to travel to a galaxy far, far away to go and see it. While Moises is primarily a history museum, displaying items from a long time ago, but from the area quite nearby, 
West Suffolk prides itself on offering a strong mix of leisure and cultural attractions. It is not only something great for our local families and communities to come along and enjoy, but it also attracts people to West Suffolk. Adult tickets cost £6, while the admission for children and young people, older than five, is £3. Children under five are being admitted free of charge. The exhibition is open to the public from Monday to Saturday between 10 and 5, with last admissions at 4. On Sunday, the show runs from 12 to 4, with last admissions at 3pm. Now we move on to some letters. And my first letter is written by Ron Simpson of Walsham Le Willows. And he says, better land management may have helped. The recent flooding primarily was caused by an exceptional rainfall event, but could have been mitigated by what used to be prudent land management. On my travels around Mid and West Suffolk during the summer, I noticed that the countryside was looking unusually scruffy, with overgrown hedges and untrimmed verges. I realised that, ver- that hedges and verges are the responsibility of several agencies, i.e. highways authority, local authority, farmers and property owners, but all seem to have been overwhelmed by the exhortations of the Green Lobby regarding rewilding and nature diversity. I could see that many, many ditches were overgrown, and where I used to see small channels cut through verges from roadside to ditch to allow water to drain into ditches, they are no longer evident. Volumes of water building up on roads therefore has nowhere to go, and the vegetation choke ditches themselves cannot do their job of draining into larger watercourses. I totally agree with giving nature a helping hand to diversify and encourage plant and animal life to expand and grow strong, but has anyone considered how how many thousands of small mammals, ground-nesting birds and insects perished in the floods, which could have been minimised by what used to be good land husbandry, as well, of course, the distress caused to many householders and businesses by damage to their property. My first letter is from uh, Leon Miller via email, so I don't know where Mr Miller lives. No doubt we were all pleased when we saw Anglian Water were doing work not so long ago on areas of Berish roads, excuse me, regularly flooded after heavy rain, e.g. the roundabout outside the entrance to the sugar beet factory. Then the council started to work on some potholes, e.g. on Station Hill. Having been out today, the roundabout mentioned above was as flooded as it ever was, and there were large potholes on Station Hill, which certainly appeared to have been previously repaired. There were other places where the same problems had recurred. So a simple question. Can anybody doing maintenance on public areas do a long-term job? Mm-hmm. My next letter is written by Tom Murray of Bury St Edmunds and he says bus station decision is a very poor one. Why oh why must bus passengers be precluded and excluded from the bus station just because of a minority causing trouble? Autumn and winter are well underway. It's warm and dry inside, safe for the elderly and parents with children. Not all of us have comfy cars. We need our local and out of town buses. 
Many of us cannot perch on those cold budgies perches, masquerading as seats. In the recent very wet weather, it was windy and very cold, with rain blowing into the shelter areas. Let's hope we don't lose the small store in the building. Surely the station can ha have alarm buttons, full-time CTs. Surely the station can have alarm buttons with full-time CTs a safe environment without it being closed due to a bad minority. Perhaps use some of the millions saved by cancelling the big projects funded by West Suffolk to get some staff back, even part-time. It's a gateway to our historic town, a very poorly thought-out decision. And my next letter is from a Wendy Brooks slightly outside our area. She's in Lowestoft, but it has some... Valid points, I think. After a few days of storm babbit, wreaking havoc throughout Britain, Sunday was a welcome respite. I cycled around to check on reported flooding, and thankfully I could see very little, as most had drained away. I got to thinking about my sink and drains. I'm very careful about what goes down my sink, and remove bits of food or coffee grounds and bin them. My sink is rarely blocked. A relative is the complete opposite. Soil, coffee, bits of food, paint, she just chucks it in her sink. Her sink frequently blocks and she blames the drains. I've tried to explain, but she's not listening. There is a parallel with Suffolk Highways and National Highways management of our streets. Weeds are not removed from gutters. Leaves are left, soil is left and twigs are left. The rain cannot flow freely as the gutters are clogged with all of the above and then the drains are clogged with debris. We're fortunate in North Lowestoft to be on relatively high ground and have many fabulous trees. If Suffolk Highways and National Highways did some basic and frequent clearing of gutters and sweeping of leaves, maybe our roads would not get flooded when it rains. So rather than scratching their heads, the highways people could try implementing a preventative measure, a bit like my sink, and not follow my relative's route. <laughs> Excellent. My next letter is from Lorna Bixley, and she lives in the High Street at Long Melford. And she says, result of inaction is now all too clear. Following days of torrential rain, many rivers have burst their banks, but some residents living near the River Chad in Long Melford for many months have raised their concerns about the river being choked by reeds and fallen trees, but nothing was done to alleviate their fears. The road near the mill is presently underwater, and houses situated adjacent to the river are in imminent danger of being flooded. The result of this inaction is now all too clear. And now, this letter comes from Alice Jefferson, Head of Emergency Responses, an organisation called Shelterbox. Last month we woke to news of a powerful earthquake hitting the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. A few days later, Storm Daniel caused widespread flooding across northeast Libya. Hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced from their homes. People have lost livelihoods, belongings and loved ones. At the International Disaster Relief Charity, Shelterbox, we are supporting people affected by each of these disasters. We are distributing aid to around 20 mountain communities 
alongside our partner, Association Le Grand Atlas, Rotary in Morocco, and volunteers from local villages, we are distributing tents, thermal blankets, solar lights and kitchen sets to communities living at high altitudes whose homes have been damaged or reduced to rubble. In Libya, entire neighbourhoods have been swept away by torrents of water. Thousands of people are without the basics needed to survive, like shelter and clean water. Access to Libya for foreign nationals is challenging, so we've partnered with ACTED, A-C-T-E-D, to get aid to people who need it as quickly as we can. We're providing a grant to our partner for winter clothing, thermal blankets and heaters so people can protect themselves and their families from the cold as winter looms. Our responses in Morocco and Libya would not be possible without our supporters, whose donations help us to be ready for the next disaster, wherever in the world that may be. My next letter is written by Ruth Ashmore, and she is Regional Director responsible for delivering flu and COVID. NHS England, East of England. Stay well and get your vaccinations now. The life-saving NHS winter vaccination programme has delivered more than 1 million COVID and 1.37 million flu vaccines to people most at risk across the east of England in just six weeks. Of those, a record 442,000 people have taken the option to have both flu and COVID vaccines at the same appointment, making it as easy as possible for people to get protected ahead of winter. These figures show that over 30% of those who are eligible for their flu and COVID vaccinations have now come forward. As winter approaches, we are seeing the number of COVID cases rising, with the first two weeks of October seeing an average more than 400 patients in the east of England's hospitals with COVID, an increase of more than a third from the same period last month. While it's great that more than a million in the East are winter-ready, we still urge those most at risk of these life-threatening viruses to get the protection they need this winter and book their free appointments. Covid is still with us, so getting these vaccinations is one of the best ways to stay well. There are still many vaccine appointments available online and you can sign up for one or both jabs together. This one is from David E. Barker, Westhorpe, near Stowmarket. May I add my thanks to those of the NFU thanking Suffolk County councillors who gave their support to local farmers and are encouraging the use of meat and dairy products and locally sourced food at local at council events. It seems strange to me that three councillors could not support our farmers. With councils like that in Norwich, as I understand, banning such food, it is clear that they do not understand the vital role grazing animals have in maintaining some of the most important wildlife habitats. Um, My next letter is from Mr R.A. Smith of Hadley, and he says drainage pipe cleaning. So far, I haven't seen any mention of pipe cleaning. You know what they are, the sluice pipes run between gullies to take water entering the gullies down to the rivers and over the last few years reports continue to be made of long-standing water flooding 
water, flooding roads for days after rainfall, a situation we found after the general flooding last Friday. We saw gullies being emptied of heavy matter recently, but nothing about cleansing the pipes between. I suspect that because so much of Suffolk is relatively flat, that over the years there has been a build-up of fine silt impeding the lateral flow. Maybe I am wrong, but more information from the County Council could enlighten us all and also direct us where we can log in a request for a deep clean. This is from Mark Sutcliffe, Bilderston. As the COVID inquiry slowly teases out the grime from this tragic time in our history, I can't help feeling a sense of, I told you so. Boris Johnson, for all his undoubted popularity, was a weak and indecisive leader, just when this country needed the opposite more than at any time since the war. He even managed to contract the virus himself by refusing to take precautions when visiting patients. His misleadership on Brexit also comes to mind. A majority of votes, however large, do not maketh the man or the Brexit into something worthwhile. I hope UK voters will learn a lesson from this and take more interest in the reality of who and what they are voting for. All the evidence was there on Johnson from previous conduct, but with all the aplomb of a Wild West snake oil salesman, he drew them in and sold them a pup. Um, my next letter is written by John Dell of Shotley, and he says, Dick's Dysfunctional Government. It's worth recalling this week, as we listen to the evidence being provided to the COVID inquiry, that these are, for the most part, exactly the same people who brought us Brexit. That oven-ready deal, which resulted in so much economic grief, had been signed off just a few months before many of these events took place. It's reasonable to assume that the same inadequacy infighting, abuse, swearing and backstabbing was occurring in government during those years, as occurred during Covid. It's not surprising, therefore, that Brexit has proven to be as much a disaster as the government's actions during Covid appears to have been. The inquiry is shining a powerful light on the workings of our government over recent years, which has been found wanting. Brexit and Covid, it seems, are very much two sides of the same coin. It seems to me this completely dysfunctional government simply staggered on and inflicted one national disaster on us after another. They are well past their sell-by date and should have stopped off the national and should have stepped off the national stage and gone many years ago. Unfortunately for the country, they did not. Perhaps there is one last service they can do for us. To echo Oliver Cromwell, depart, I say, and let us have done with you. In the name of God, go. I have no confidence, however, even if they tried to do so, that they wouldn't make a mess of that as well. This is from Janet Douglas of Framlingham. I write in re regard to your report about Ballingdon Hall in Sudbury, possibly hosting live music events. We came to live in Framlingham in 1968 and I remember with amazement reading about this huge hall being moved down the main road for half a mile to be rebuilt. 
So good luck for its new business. My last letter is from Graham Day of Stowmark, and he says, Local radio cuts removed storm lifeline. In the last few days, with the extensive flooding which has occurred recently in Suffolk and throughout the UK, courtesy of Storm Babette, named after a lady in Holland who was born during a storm, the need for information to be available across the media has been paramount to ensure that lives are not in peril as a result. During the first months of my marriage in 1978, heavy snowfalls ensured that Stowmarket, my town, was effectively cut off. The local commercial radio station, Radio Orwell, broadcast travel updates and regular activities which had been cancelled. Much of this supplied direct by listeners. It was an absolute lifeline for young and old alike and was most welcome. This is contrasted with the appalling situation which has occurred in my home county and no doubt elsewhere in the country. The BBC has seen fit to amalgamate and downgrade the splendid local radio network, thereby sacrificing older and vulnerable people at times of danger to life and limb by ensuring that they are unable to access this, the information they need. A friend travelling back from a short break in Norfolk to her Suffolk home, a journey which would normally take around two hours, spent five and a half hours trying to reach the safety of home. There were only occasional updates on the car radio, which meant that she was unexpectedly driving into dangerous situations due to the paucity of advice. During the pandemic, the local radio network was again the source of much help and information to the community. Local presenters knew their audience and did as much as possible to keep, in, keep informed and safe. They were trusted and their assistance was invaluable. The BBC is allegedly the trusted national broadcaster. Too often, however, there is now concentration on the dubious benefits of digital services to the detriment of those which are necessary. It's no good expecting everyone to have access to digital platforms. It does not work for many older and vulnerable people. When the government tested its emergency digital alert to, to smartphones in April, I was on a classic car run. We switched on our smartphones at a coastal tea shop at the appointed time and only a third of us received the alert. Not very much at all. In a nuclear strike we would have been dead. By downgrading the local radio network in a national emergency, I feel BBC executives are putting the lives of many people in serious danger. The next storm this this year will be Ceron. By the time the final storm of the year named Walid arrived, I would hope there would be changes at Broadcasting House, that there, that there would be changes at the top and a changed approach. However, given the nature of the blindfolded lumbering dinosaur that the BBC, that is the BBC, I do not hold my breath. Now, my last letter, astonishingly, has been written by the man who wrote Chris's last letter, <laughs> a Graham Day from Stowmarket. On a fleeting visit to Mildenhall, we found time to visit the excellent museum, something which we had never done. The authentic replicas of the Mildenhall treasure, including the great dish, bowls, goblets and spoons, was stunning. 
Roman treasure discovered purely by chance while ploughing in 1942 during the dark days of the Second World War. There were also many other interesting displays. The eel traps reminded me of meeting one of the last broads eel fishermen, fishermen near Akel in Norfolk a few years ago. Tools used in peat cutting emphasise how important peat was to the economy of the Fenlanders and the shopping section reminded me of how shopping used to be pre-online. This coupled with displays of everyday household items which we could remember from growing up added to an interesting and absorbing experience. The main focus for me, however, was the section on the Mildon Hall to Melbourne air race something which I discovered from the street names in a new development off Comet Way, whilst carrying out social research interviews a few years ago. It was all there, packed with interesting information from the route, the aircraft and the personalities involved. I always feel Milden Hall should major on its connections with this historic race as a way of boosting the local economy and ensuring that tourists stop and not just drive through. Perhaps we may see some day on the signs on the entrances to the town, Mildenhall, home of the air race. As always, hope springs eternal. The sky really would be the limit. At the end, the purchase of an early Christmas present in the form of a book on the air race, which may possibly prevent me from sleeping through Christmas Day. The museum has attentive, informative and exceptional staff. It must be one of the very best small museums in the UK. Excellent. Well done indeed. Now we return to some general news. After a busy few months, a charity based in Bury St Edmunds that supports amputees and their families has reached 1,000 members. Steel Bones has recently started up a new coffee club in the town as well as new meet -up, a new meet-up group in Ipswich and a fitness club in Haverhill. The charity has received three years of funding from the National Lottery, so they can continue providing support and services to help amputee families live life to the fullest and overcome the trauma of amputation. Colin Phelps, aged 54, chairman of Steel Bones, joined the charity six years ago when it only had 250 members, and is delighted with how much progress has been made since then. He said, it's very exciting for us, and we didn't expect this many members, but in the last two or three years, it's gone absolutely bonkers. We feel very proud of what we've achieved in the last few years, as when I was growing up, there was nothing like this about. Now things have come on tremendously. You can even have sockets with pictures on them. Then kids that have amputations can take a picture of Spider-Man or whatever and print it on the actual socket, which is amazing. Due to the recent rise in members, Steel Bones had to move their coffee club from a cafe in, Ford in Fordham to Dobby's Garden Centre in Bury St Edmunds so they could hold bigger groups and become more accessible. Colin, who's been an amputee since he was a month old, outlined the importance of the meetings and how regular contact with other amputees can go a long way. It's not the end of the world, even if it may seem it for new, newer amputees, he said. 
they may have a lot of questions to ask, for example. And it's really good to talk a lot of um, it's really good to talk as a lot of amputees may feel lonely or be alone. So having a chat can really be a great help. Talking with other amputees really helps your mental health and lots of amputees struggle with things like anxiety as they come out and they feel nervous of how people will look at them and such. So it is very important. Moving um, forward, Steel Bones hopes after Christmas they can spread their services to the south and get some coffee clubs started as well as continuing their work covering Suffolk and Norfolk. The next Steel Bones coffee club Meetup is on Sunday, November the 29th in, in Berry at the Dobby's Garden Centre. A popular town centre firework display will not be going ahead this year, with organisers saying they feel as disappointed as everyone else. Over the last 30 years, the Abbey Gardens fireworks in Berry St Edmunds have raised thousands of pounds for good causes. However, this year the Round Table has announced that there will be no display at the park as a drop in the number of its members has made it too difficult to run. Charlie Athorn from the Round Table said, So much work goes into the organisation of this event. The most important thing for us is that we put on a safe event and we would never want to compromise that in any way. Explaining that it takes 70 volunteers to help put on the fireworks, he said, No one is more disappointed that the fireworks aren't happening this year than we are. In 2022, the Bury St Edmunds Round Table Fireworks Spectacular sold out for the first time, with 5,000 tickets snapped up. Despite approaching Bury St Edmunds Town Council and other organisations to help put on the fireworks in 2023, Mr Athorn said that timings-wise things didn't line up. He hopes that the Abbey Gardens display will be able to go ahead in 2024, either run or supported by the round table, but more men would need to join the group. He added that there was now a real concern that the round table wouldn't be able to continue as numbers have dropped from 25 to just 8 since last year. Currently, the round table is planning for their annual Santa sleigh trip around Bury. A husband and wife duo from Bury St Edmunds, who have a passion for cycling, have created a new cycle route which champions Suffolk. Sharon Carlton and Chris Bauer created the Wolfway route in July in partnership with Cycling UK, having successfully designed the Rebellion Way route around Norfolk. The 248-mile route starts and finishes in Bury and covers many of the Suffolk towns. It features references to St Edmund and the Wolf in other parts of the county, which is how the couple came up with the name. Sharon Carlton said, We wanted to put Suffolk on the map. Some of the flatter counties have a lot to offer as well. We have a lot here. The Taste of Sudbury Food and Drink Festival was originally held in the market town before moving to neighbouring village Long Melford. Over the years, the festival has grown substantially and now showcases over 70 producers from across the county as well as a number of local chefs and a large kitchen theatre. From 2024, the festival will be called the Taste of East Anglia. 
Justine Paul, one of the directors of Taste of East Anglia, said, Supporting local producers and celebrating local food and drink has been the core focus and theme of the festival for several years. The event has become a significant date in the diary for many of the best producers from across the region, and this, coupled with the fact that our visitors are now travelling from as far as Cambridgeshire, London, Norfolk and Essex, means that it was time to change the name in order to reflect the growth of the festival. Renaming the festival The Taste of East Anglia was a bit of a light bulb moment, and we think it fits the bill perfectly. Lifestyle guide Maddie Stilettos has revealed its list of the best pub roasts across England and two restaurants in Suffolk have bagged a place on it. The list features 60 pubs across the 27 muddy counties in England to help readers find brilliant gastro pubs when they want to ditch the pots and pans. The two best pubs for a roast dinner in Suffolk are the Black Lion in Long Melford and the Brewers in Rattleston. Describing the Black Lion, Muddy Stiletto said, We love the family sharing roast, roast concept here. Board of meats, lots of seasonal vegetables, nice big Yorkshire and crispy roasties. Roasties all serve sharing style like you'd enjoy at home, but with none of the washing up. The Brewers was named as one of the top 100 gastropubs in the UK by Estrella Dam. Muddy Stilettos describes... The pub's roast as elegant, Instagrammable and totally delicious. Don't expect a plate piled to the rafters with potatoes and Yorkshires. This is a much more refined affair, with smaller portions and each and every bite being a complete taste explosion. A reminder that the Edmund Octet will be performing a charity concert in aid of St Edmundsbury Newstalk on Saturday 11th of November at 7pm at the Berry Unitarian Meeting House in Churchgate Street. Tickets are £10 and include an interval drink available on the door or telephone 01284 719 236. The Edmund Octet sing a wide variety of music from Irving Berlin and Dvorak to Queen and ELO. As with all good news programmes, we like to end with a happy furry animal story. But in this case, it's a prickly story. A couple from Berry St Edmunds had the ultimate surprise last month when they checked under their furniture to find a hedgehog giving birth. Having left their front door open during a warm September night, a mother hog wandered in. On a bed of tissues and leaves underneath their sofa, she began to give birth. When they realised what was happening, the couple popped mother and babies into a box and took her to Eastgate Vets. It was then that Suffolk Prickles Hedgehog Rescue, near Earl Stonham, was called. Paula Baker from the charity said, There can be issues with picking up mothers and babies shortly after birth, and disturbing the nest can lead to her rejecting them. However, as this had already happened, she believed there would be no risk bringing them in. Paula said, we made mother and babies comfortable and left them for three days as a mother can eat them if disturbed. We only intervene if the mother rejects them. A few days later, she was still giving birth. They were the size of 50 pence pieces. Now, a month later, they're little tinkers 
happy little hoglets. The mother gave birth to seven babies in total, two of which died. Paula said such incidents are common, with the animals seeking shelter in people's homes. She said that if people find a hedgehog, they should give Suffolk Prickles a ring, but not interfere if it's giving birth. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. The telephone number for the Berry Octet Concert tickets is 01284 719 236. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sue, Peter, Chris and Neil. It's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.